started reading and reminiscing, and I was 29 years old when I preached this message. Uh, that was 31 years ago, and um, I just wanted you to listen along as I preached to myself tonight. Sometimes I do that, and as we're preparing for revival tomorrow night, uh, I go back in my mind, and I, sometimes I live in the past, and I guess it uh, can be a bad thing, but it can also be a, a good thing. I remember the, the wonderful, sweet spirit of revival that took place in New Line Baptist Church, and, and uh, let me fast forward to just... Two weeks ago, we were in Indiana, I just wanted to say, uh, as we go into revival meetings, we were in a very large Baptist church, I can't even think of the name of it right now, it was Twin something Baptist church, I don't know, named after the road or whatever, but uh, several times our size, I would say at least three times our size here, maybe you said a thousand, maybe 800 people, and uh, it wasn't full, it was, in fact, it kind of, I would say, you know, some nights there was only uh, three or four hundred people there, I mean, I'm being, this is a major, supposed to be a major conference, and the pastor made a comment that was, uh, I, could, I related when he made the comment, and he basically said he'd been at that church for many years, and it was the home church pastor, uh, the host pastor, and he made some comment about the pews used to be full, and now they're, they're, they're not so full. Now, I don't want to be negative at all tonight, but that's all across America. Most churches have decided many years ago now, it's been that year, said, Let's, why, why bother having Sunday night service? Nobody comes out for them anyhow. Revival meetings, nobody comes out for them anyhow. And I don't want to be negative, but I want to, I want to just, uh, just talk to you tonight. And I want to tell you why I keep going on and why I'm glad that we're having revival meetings, even though uh, I'm not expecting, maybe I should expect, but I'm not expecting revival meetings like we used to have in the 20, 30 years ago. Back when we were a smaller church, we had bigger meetings than we do now. And I don't blame any of you here, and I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not throwing any stones I'm just saying 1988, and ni- between 1988 and 2018, we live in, no- in a different world than ever before, in a different America, and uh, I'm afraid to say. I'm going to let you remain seated tonight. I want to read this famous verse of Scripture. Verse 19 is our text verse, 1 Corinthians 9, or excuse me, verse number 16, rather. And I'd like to read to verse 22. Verse 22, I'd like to read to the end of the chapter, but for time's sake, we'll cut it off at verse 22. Notice what the Word of God says, and you can remain seated, and let me read so I can make emphasis when I choose to. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Paul's speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, but he's also speaking his heart. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I can interpret that tonight as woe is unto me if I if I'm not faithful to the things of God, if I don't, and uh, we'll give you the message title in just a minute, but let me read the rest of the verses. For if I do this willingly, I, will, I have a reward, but against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Under the Jews I am become a Jew, as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law. Being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things, verse 22, I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Our text verse again, verse number 16, 
Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is unto me if I be not faithful. I've entitled, I titled this message 30 years ago, and it's getting resurrected for the first time. I keep notes here. This is only the second time I preach this in 30 years, so I'm going to preach this again for 30 years from now. Beware. beware. 2048 is going to get it again. So. But uh, I preach a message entitled, Why I'm Debted to Serve the King. Why, why am I debted to serve the king? And I want to personalize the message, but I want you, as I personalize this story, as I got just reading, just again, just a couple hours ago, I read what I wrote down as a 29-year-old preacher, 29-year-old Christian, 29-year-old uh, father of one little baby, uh, two-year-old. And uh, it was interesting what I wrote down 30 years ago, and I want to read some lines direct uh, for you tonight, but uh, I want you to take this message tonight, and I want you to apply it to yourself and ask yourself this question, why are you indebted to stay faithful to the Lord? Why are you indebted to, I'm a pastor, so I'm a preacher, so I'm going to say, preach the gospel. We're all indebted to preach the gospel. Are we right about that? Sure we are. Are we all indebted to serve the king of kings? Sure we are. And so with that said, let's make our prayer and ask God's help. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, Spirit of God, I pray that you would give me help leading the tonight here as I reminisce a little bit. And uh, Lord, as we prepare for revival meetings tomorrow night, Lord, they're just meetings. They're just an extra meeting uh, during the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And yet, Lord, we're calling them revival meetings because we want to see revival take place. We want to see folks get saved. We want people to see people get right with God. And Lord, it starts with us. Don't make it specific, Lord. It starts with me. Lord, I'm indebted to serve you tonight. Lord, I think every person that has the heart of God in them, Lord, the heart of Christ in them feels the same way. And I pray, Lord, that we might peruse a little bit tonight, ponder on why we are indebted to serve the gospel. And woe is unto us if we preach not the gospel. Pray you bless in our minutes together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I wrote down here, I'm, I'm going direct now here from notes from 30 years ago. Here was my introduction. I said, soon I will be preaching my 900th message from this pulpit. I started serving the Lord when I was 15, almost 16 years old, 13 years ago, I put down. So I was, again, I was 29 years old. I started in my youth preaching, and uh, I had apprenticeship years. Pardon me, I have a little note here. At that time, I preached 420 times from the, the pulpit of Harvest Baptist. I keep a little diary. I've been told you that many times. And so back in 1988, I already preached 420 messages. 900 total I put down. And going back to Rockford, Illinois, and back to Kentucky, and back to Ohio, and so forth. And, and, uh, and I, I wrote down the best years of my life. Or, I, no, I wrote down this. Still, I'm still in my apprenticeship years. The best years of my life are ahead of me. I want to learn how to be a good preacher, good pastor, good Christian. 29-year-old kid saying this. Uh, I wrote down, what am I saying here? Uh, I wrote that, those words down, what am I saying? So what am I saying? So here's what I'm saying. I wouldn't trade my life. I can start getting emotional, but I won't. I wrote down, as 29 years old, I wouldn't trade my life for anyone's in the world. I have my own race to run. But I want to finish my course with joy. I don't want to quit on God. 
I wrote this down, I wrote word for word, I hope God will kill me if I quit preaching or if I quit serving God. You know, at 60 years of age, I still feel that way. I do. Uh, you know, a lot of dreams I've had, I had as a young person, boy, I, well, this is off script now, so let me just tell you what, how, how really was working. Sonny's church in Iowa, I told the story many times, and but Fellowship Baptist Church in Marshalltown, Iowa. Pastor Glenn was there for 20 years and started from nothing and built a Christian day school and a gymnasium and, and uh, they were running 500 people in church. And, and I was just young and brash and so forth and say, hey, if they can do it in Iowa, God can do it in New England. And I said, I'm gonna come to New England and I'm gonna start a church by God's grace. To him, me all the glory. Don't, don't interpret this as any pride. I really don't, I'm sure the pride is very deceptive. I get that. But I wanted to, for the glory of God, to build a church of 500 people. Folks, we haven't got there yet. <laughs> uh, we haven't got close yet. You know, uh, my, my visions have been downsized, you know, as you live and so forth. And, uh, but I will say this, a lot of things that we, we believed, God did many of those things. It did many things that we ne- haven't even, that I never did, could comprehend. And I could give you four examples, but let me get back on script here tonight. According to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, I must preach the gospel. I have no choice but to serve the Lord. I'm a slave for life. I'm a bondservant. A doulos is the word. A servant of Jesus Christ. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, the psalmist said, than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Spurgeon said it this way, I'd rather be a preacher of the gospel than to be the king of England. And I'd rather be, uh, be in the center of God's will as uh, Tim, an engineer, or... Uh, Bob, a factory worker, or whatever. I'd rather be in the center of God's will and be in a lowly place with only a few people that supposedly know us, serving God, than in the halls of the high and mighty, not serving God. I'd rather serve God because he owns me, and I'm a willing bondservant. I want to serve the king. So there are several reasons I wrote down here that I must serve him. I must, I'm indebted to preach the gospel, uh, and, I'm, and I want to give you several things. I actually have 12 statements here. It's only 625, hang on. So here's my reasons, and very personal tonight here, and as I read this, I got cooked, and I said, I just, my memory bank went back to 30 years, pardon me. I don't want you to just, this is not about Marty Shaw tonight, this, I want you to personalize this in your own life and make your personal application tonight for you. Why are you serving the Lord, uh, Adam Benedict? At I won't say how old you are now. You're getting old now. <laughs> and uh, why are you serving the Lord? And I could pick on you know Wayne and Janet. Oh, what a blessing! You know, I just celebrated their 60th anniversary. I saw them up there singing in the choir. I says, man, that made my heart. That did my heart good. And uh, and why are you serving the Lord after all these years? Well, I think you have your reasons, and you know your reasons. Now, I got uh, I got 11 reasons. I got 12, but the, the 12th we should all agree on. But here's, here's my reasons, and I'll try to be as quick as I can, a minute or two on each, a minute or so. I wrote down the first reason why I must serve the king going forward is I owe it to my, anyone want to try to fill in the blank? You'll never get it. I owe it to my one word. Okay, don't get spiritual on me, Brother Dale. Not, 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 not there yet. Okay, nice try. Here's my point number one. I just teased you. I owe it to Marty Shot point number one. Why I'm serving God. I owe it to my mother. 
I owe it to my mother, and I have some notes about my mom. I wrote down, best mom in the world. Tender, kind, long-suffering. Parmer's met my mom for the first time, uh, actually second time, but uh, at a wedding, of course, but uh, met mom, and mom's doing really good at 80, 81, and uh, she really was a great mom. She is a great mom. I told the story just quickly. She got saved during the Billy Graham crusade. My mom went to church at the wrong church for many years. She went to a Church of Christ uh, church that believed you could lose your salvation, believed you had to be baptized in order to be saved. I went there a number of times as a kid because mom went there. My mom was married at 18 years old. I was 25 years old. I told the story many times. I didn't realize my mom and dad, it was what you call a shotgun wedding back in those days. Mom and dad had to get married. And, uh, and Nancy Jane, my sister, was the reason why. And uh, so their, their Nancy's birth and their wedding date about five months apart. And uh, back in those days, you just did the thing that you're supposed to do. And I can see in my mind the old barn that dad was fixing up a barn in the second floor hayloft that uh, he bought some two-by-fours and he was starting to stud out uh, a barn. They were going to live up in the barn because that's all they had. That was back in, obviously, 1958, I guess it was. And, uh, but mom... By the time she was 24, she had four children. Think about that one, huh? This is before the age of welfare, the age of WIC, the age of uh, food stamps, the age of a uh, number of those type of things, I'm sure. My mom had a tough life. I, I, well, I could really, I could spend the rest of the time here. I'll tell you some funny stories. Grandpa was, a, was a, a chicken farmer and a potato farmer. He lived right next door to us. There was a two bars. I told the story 118 times, maybe 318 times. The two bars, my grandmother's grandfather's house, our house, and then the farm started. And uh, Grandpa's had his potato field, and, and, and he had chickens. We had, we ate this many, 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 many nights, and my mom fooled me, fooled us kids really well. We had a French delicacy every, almost every night for dinner. This is before, you know, you had just, you know, you go to the food bank and so forth. We had mashed potatoes. Why? We had a lot of potatoes. And then mom would make poached egg and put a poached egg on top of the mashed potatoes. And it was a French delicacy. And she sold that on us as, a, as kids growing up. And we had, that was, that was a high-class dinner. And then mom said, oh, the people pay big money for this. I mean, I can still remember my mom lying to me as a little kid, <laughs> telling us how wonderful this meal was. And had, uh, mashed potatoes and poached egg again. And uh, I remember those days. And, uh, but I know what mom was trying to do. And... Uh, she had a tough life, and I, uh, even after all these years, I had to be a little careful with some things I say, especially now that we're on. Now they, they've still never heard a message online ever in their life, I don't think, so I think I'm okay. But we lived in a three-room house, and I could go on. I, I'll get off this point in a minute. My, you know, our kids, you know, folks, I grew up, when I was a little boy, I grew up in a kitchen. That was my bedroom with my sister and my little brother. And the kitchen didn't work. We had an outhouse. Remember those days? We actually, we were upgraded. We had a cold room. We had a, we had a room in the house with a five-gallon bucket is what we had with a glorified toilet seat on it. Grandma didn't get plumbing until I was 15 years old. This is old Backwoods, Ohio. We were poor, but we didn't know we were poor. We were rich as far as we were concerned, but that's how we grew up. And uh, I think of all the, all the times that I could get emotional when I think of some particular nights that will be... Forever ingrained in my mind when I think of them, some are coming to my mind right now. 
was on my mom's heartache. And, uh, but she was a great mom in her 20s and served the Lord. But she always, she always wanted the best for us kids. And then, of course, she, she, she got on fire for the Lord. But, you know, to this day, and this is silly, but I, you know, I'm still 60 years old. I'm Martin John still. Mom's still, I was out there working about a month ago just for that day. I went out and did some work from, oh, Martin, you want some water? It's hot out there. And it's, uh, it's like, Mom, I'm okay. You know, once a mom, always a mom. But I would, I would dare say if I quit on God, I would dare say that my mother would be disappointed with me. What do you think? I think she would be. I, reason number one, I spent 10 minutes on that point here. It looks like eight minutes there. We got 20 minutes here until 7 o'clock here. So, but I, I owe it to my mom to serve the Lord. How many of you have a mom still? Don't raise your hand. Somebody, a lot of you don't. But uh, yeah, I'm sure you can personalize that in one way or another. Secondly, my second point was, and I'll be quicker, I owe it to my father to serve the Lord. Here's what I wrote down. I love my dad. And I put a dash, not saved. Then I wrote down these words. I'm just going to read them. If he's going to be saved, I must remain faithful. Now, by the way, I didn't remain faithful. I'm going to tell you right now. I didn't pray for my dad like I should have prayed. I wish I could tell you, my dad got saved because of my faithful praying for 30-some years. I don't believe that. I believe God saved my dad because of his, his, his grace, his mercy, and I believe I should have prayed, and I did pray many hundreds of times, but not like I should have. I kind of gave up on my dad for a number of years. I, 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 I conditioned my mind to say, I'm, God, I'm going to serve you if my dad, when he dies and dies and goes to hell, I'm still I'm going to say like Job said, the Lord gave the Lord, taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to serve you anyhow, because you're worthy. But I, I wrote down, I'm, God is not obligated to save him, but God wants to save him. Nice preacher line there. I, at a certain point in my later on life, in my 30s and 40s and so forth, I said, I said secretly, deep down in the depths of my heart, but he's too hard and he'll never get saved. But I owe it to my father to live for Jesus. And uh, I never would have thought. I mean, just one month ago, four, four, three and a half weeks ago, I'm at Lighthouse Baptist Church. I tell the story. I can't get over this. I'm going to church with my dad. I pull in the parking lot at the house at 6.30 p.m. Church is 15 minutes up the road. I says, Mom and Dad, are you up to go to church? And I said, let's go. Got in the car. We, dad with his walker, with his cane, walking into church. He pays to serve the Lord. Brother Wayne, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm forever, and I know it was the Lord, and you'd be the first one to say it. Of course you would. But I'm forever indebted. If we, if we have memory in heaven in regards to this stuff, I'm going to be thanking Wayne Richard for the rest of my life, for, for eternity, for about a billion years and then some. Because he wrote those letters to my dad. And, uh, but I, I owe it to serve, serve my heavenly father, or serve my heavenly father because of my father. I want to keep on serving him. I want to keep on being faithful. I think I would break dad's heart if I quit on the gospel of Christ, if I quit serving him. Well, number three, I gotta now really start to hurry here. Uh, the third reason why I said I must, why I'm indebted to serve the king is I owe it to my brothers and sisters. I got Nancy's name down here. I got Lori's name down here. At that time, Lori was a 14-year-old that came and lived in our, in our house when she was uh, just out of high school. 
She checked out Tom Brokaw out of Caldors back in the old days. Remember those days when Caldors was still around? And then Lori went off to Christian College, and she met a guy named Danny Schaefer who will be preaching in a couple weeks from now, a week and a half from now. Preached a wedding right here yesterday morning, doing a fantastic job in, in New York City. Uh, Danny and Lori are serving the Lord, and uh, they're responsible for helping bring hundreds and ultimately, I believe, thousands of people to Christ in New York City and the Queens and Bronx and Manhattan, all around the, the metro New York area, and for that matter, around the world. Danny had to leave the wedding, couldn't go to the reception because he had to run home because he had a missionary uh, coming in last night and, of course, in church this morning, and he's at two different churches today and uh, serving the Lord. But my sister, Nan- my sister Lori... My sister Nancy in Ohio and, my, my, and uh, my, my two brothers who still are wayward and still not living for the Lord. And I, I, I doubt their salvation, of course, Bob and Gary. But uh, we have a filial love. We don't talk much, admittedly. But they know their oldest brother is a preacher. And I, I'm, I'm serving God and only by the, the grace of God. But I owe it. One reason I stay faithful to the things of God is I have siblings. And they're looking at me. Uh, Tim, I, Tim, I'll pick on Tim tonight. I, Tim, I know Tim's got siblings. He's got well, a sister, a brother. I know you got a brother in Torrington, right? And then you got a sister. You got a sister, right? And uh, we all have. How many have siblings still alive? Yeah, yeah. For your siblings, are they living for the Lord or not living for the Lord? Either way, you disappoint them if you quit living for the Lord. And so we live for the Lord. Number five, you got to hurry along here. Number four, rather. This boy, oh boy, this is, brings back memories here. I must serve him because of my relatives, was my fourth reason. I got 11, remember? I wrote down Aunt Norma Jean. Aunt Norma Jean's been in heaven or hell, I'm not sure which, for the last 10 years or so. It was my last great aunt to die. My Uncle Dan, he died many years ago, 25, 30 years ago, I'm afraid to think where he's at. My Aunt Dory, my Aunt Doris, my Uncle Norm. I know where they're at tonight. 30 years they've been gone, almost 20-something years for sure, 20, late 20s. I wrote down my cousins, my Sherry and Jenks and Sue and Bob Delin, and those four are still alive, but they're up in years, and they're in their 70s, and they they're, don't have much long, longer to live. Uh, Karen and Bonnie are going to, going to Israel here in the next month or so. Most of you know that. And Sue Delin, my was scheduled to go with my sister Nancy Jane to go to Israel. I was so excited on that same trip that they're going on. And they, they got cold feet and a long story, I'm sure they ended up bailing out. They're not going. I wish they would have gone, but there's still time for my my cousins. But I they know I'm the I'm serving the Lord. When they had the family reunions, and some of these people are close, and I don't take it personally. In fact, I think I take some of it as just my bad, my blame. They get together. They go to cruises. They go to cruises together. They go to. They have parties. They have fellowships together. I'm kind of. I don't take this personally. It's my own fault. They don't never invite me, Brother Wynn. I, I don't get invited with the, the family, so to speak. And uh, uh, Brother Dale, I don't get invited with my family to when they do because they do things that I think they know that I'd be uncomfortable doing anyhow. And so I don't get invited to the cruises. I don't get invited to the some of the parties and so forth that they do and some of the get-togethers. But I think they respect me and love me and they know that I'm that strange cousin or nephew or whoever I am to them that's serving the Lord. And from afar off, occasionally, they think about Marty and Sonny, I'm sure. And I, I owe it. 
I'm indebted to the king for my, my relatives. Number five now in 12 minutes, hold on. I owe it to my first Sunday school teacher, my first Sunday school teacher, I, I got it parked here for just a minute, Luella Fenton. Luella was about this high. Luella never drove. I just found out, or I was reminded, I completely forgot about it. It's a long story, but I found out that I was related. I was actually related. She was my grandfather's, uh, my grandfather's sister's child. I guess that's how it worked, yeah. So I didn't even know I was related to Luella. Luella never drove. She went to the Assembly of God Church, and she couldn't get three miles up the road because she never drove. And so on Sunday morning, she would have church, Sunday school in her house. I've told the story many times. And all the little boys and girls, we'd walk down, and we all walked. And walked a quarter mile, half mile. For us, it was about a third of a mile, maybe. And we'd walk down every Sunday morning to Luella Fenton's house, and, and uh, her sister, Jessie, was her name. She would play the piano, old upright piano. I can still see it. Jesus loves me, this I know. I can still remember these things in my head. I remember learning Psalm 23. I remember learning little, the B-I-B-L-E, little songs that we would sing. And Luella Fenton would teach us. And uh, <laughs> It's okay, I just got an emotional thought. <laughs> that crazy woman. I was a kid. Okay, I'm okay now. I was a kid. She said, Martin John, <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing, I'm crying at the same time. She says, uh, I'm praying for you that you'll be a preacher. <laughs> I thought that was the funniest thing in the world as a kid. I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to be a preacher. I just laughed, I just, but I couldn't laugh in front of her face. So I knew that poor little senile woman, she had no clue what she was talking about. And uh, I mean, I just never, never thought that. I knew I was going to you know, be a dra- go in Marines, be a draftsman, you know, be a man. You know, in my mind, it was like, be a preacher. It was like, good luck on that one, Luella. And uh, Miss, Miss, Miss Luella, we called her. I was one of those six teenage boys who was her pallbearer at her, at her funeral as uh, we took and buried Luella. Uh, Pentecostal. Somebody God. But uh, I know I'm going to see her in heaven. And she's going to say, Martin John, I told you so. <laughs> I need to serve the Lord because of the will of offense in my life. Number six here. I'm indebted to serve the king because of the Ladigo family. Bob's a widower now. Bob Ladigo, I, I feel sorry for Bob. He doesn't have any grandchildren. He has two children. Baptist preacher. One of those Baptist preachers with brains, pardon me, with degrees, several beyond me. Went to the right schools. Uh... Bob's a great guy. He's a funeral home director now. He sells funeral caskets. He's living in Florida. His wife died suddenly. I told the story many times. He was my best man in my wedding, and I was his best man in his wedding. And he, they, that family brought me to church. I lived 11 miles away from church, and they lived 12 miles away. And they went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Mr. Ladigo drove 20 miles to General Electric uh, every day. Worked his, worked, I don't think he ever missed a day in his life. I'm not even joking. He worked faithfully every day of his life for 40 some, 47 years and came home and got showered up, changed up, and got to church on Wednesday night. Uh, we remember played baseball together, played Little League and Senior League all together, all the way up, farm team, Little League, Major League, Senior League, all the way up. And, and, uh, but we didn't play any games on Wednesday night, by the way. You know why? Because I didn't know this. We didn't go to, I didn't go to church as a little kid, but no games were ever scheduled on Wednesday. And Sunday was taboo. Are you kidding me? It wasn't even thought of to have a game on Sunday. Wednesday nights and Sundays were no way, because that was church night. 
Those were church days. But I grew up with the Latigo family, and they nurtured me and brought me to, uh, I owe it to them to serve the Lord because of the Latigo family here. Number seven, I'm looking at that clock. I owe it to everyone. Remember, I wrote this 31 years ago. I owe it to everyone, or, or to, to, to every member of New Line Baptist Church. And to Pastor Bennett, I wrote down. Now, Pastor Bennett and Mrs. Bennett, some of you were on the trip, and you know what I'm talking about. Their, Alzheimer's is, is definitely setting in, and it's, it's already there. And they're, uh, Brenda, we're getting reconnected with his one and only daughter, and she's got multiple sclerosis, and uh, she's having a hard time at uh, 58 years of age herself. But uh, uh, she's taking care of mom and dad from a 10 miles off. And, and, uh, but Pastor prayed for me. Pastor bailed me out. Pastor helped me in so many ways, and... Mrs. Bennett, the first Mrs. Bennett, helped me, and I, I preached Mrs. Bennett's funeral. The first, first, this, of course, I wrote that before she, many years before she died here. But uh, they looked to me as their Timothy. It was embarrassing. Never thought of myself as Timothy, like Paul, as in Paul's uh, counterpart, or to get sung in the faith. But I wrote down these names. They won't mean anything to you, but they, they mean everything to me. Mrs. Woodruff. She's been in heaven for, oh, I don't know, 20 years at least. Mrs. Cook, same thing, 20 years at least. Alice Litke, 20, 30 years at least. Mrs. Montgomery, 30, 30 plus years, 25 years. John and Annie Wilbur, they're still alive. They're 87, 88 years old. Ken and Mary Bentley, I wrote down. I just had dinner with them this summer that, uh, with uh, Pastor and Mrs. Bennett and his daughter, and, uh, and they're in their 80s, and they're, they're doing good. But the whole group of people, I'm still the young person. The, the youth group kid that they were all rooting for to become a preacher. And they prayed. And I can't let them down. They're counting on me to serve the Lord. Uh, it's a necessity that I preach. Number, number eight, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Hang on. Here we go. I keep saying that. Here we, number eight was why, why I'm serving the Lord. All the students I ever had, I owe it to them. Uh, I taught four years of, of Christian school, four different uh, classes. Three different schools, or yeah, three different schools, Kentucky, two in, two in Illinois, and one in Danbury, Connecticut here. I used to teach junior church. I used to preach every week when I was a kid, just for the record. I used to preach to every week to more kids than I preached to this morning in the whole combined class. I used to preach to 130 kids on every Sunday morning. We had some Sundays where we had, we had big Sundays, one big Sunday a year. I think that year I preached over 300 kids. And well, I just gave it to them. Back in those days, I, I shouldn't do this. No, I, I won't take off my belt. I don't want to be disrespectful. But, but this is what you did in 1988. Uh, just disenvision. I'm not going to take my belt off. But uh, Ron Tucker, would take 300 plus kids, he'd whip his belt off. This is 19, no, this is 1982, 83. That's what it was, 82, 83. This is what you could do back in 1982 and 83 in Rockford, Illinois, or Frankfort, Kentucky. I spanked in Frankfort, Kentucky high schoolers. I was, we, were being, we were still spanking in, in public school back in the 70s, just for the record. And you didn't want your parents to find out or you'd get whipped when you got home. And he'd take off his belt. He'd do one of these numbers, snap, snap. He says, you kids better, take, you better be, behave or you're getting the belt. And uh, can you imagine doing that today? Are you, are you serious? Can you imagine? I mean, that was just protocol back in the day. Nobody thought a thing of it. Everybody was, can you see how far we've gone? Some of you even are in horror now just thinking about that. But we had discipline. 
I preach those kids, and I preach hot and heavy. I preach way hotter than I preach nowadays, and maybe to my shame. I preached on hell. In fact, that one Sunday, that we always had a big Sunday year. We had 1,300 people in church that Sunday. We had 300 kids. I preached a hot message on hell. We had like 21 kids get saved that day. I never had 21 people get saved in my whole ministry on one, one time. That's about 20 more and 19 more than I've ever had any other service ever or thereabouts. But I owe it to every one of those junior church kids. I owe it to every one of those kids that there's some people that I don't do Facebook, as you all know, but they follow Sonia on Facebook, some of them, when she's on there, and my kids and so forth. And every once in a while, we'll, hear, we'll get a blast from the past. And from somebody from uh, the Midwest or somebody down south now, and they're serving the Lord. They're old people now. They're in their 40s and 50s, some of them, and, and, uh, but they're still looking at me. I need to keep on serving the Lord. Number nine, I owe it to serve the Lord because every person I've, because of every person I've led to the Lord, and, I, and then I wrote down hundreds of them, and uh, I could say I'm their spiritual big brother I wrote down. I've led a lot of people in the sinner's prayer, probably not near as many as I should have led in the sinner's prayer, and a lot of people got led to Marty Schott, unbelievably, and some of them get led to the Lord, and the Lord knows the heart, we all know that. But I've had the privilege of bowing heads with many hundreds of people, and they're they're looking to me. I just, just a sidebar here. I, I made reference a couple weeks ago, and I got elusive on purpose. Another pastor is, uh, is uh, trying to think of the right word. I don't want to say the word fallen, but, uh, uh, well, for lack of a better phrase, uh, defaulted, I guess that's a nice word way, way to put it. Broke my heart when I heard it. And uh, I know it could be me. It could just as easily be me. It could be, what if your sins were, you know, pardon me, just jump off trail for just a moment here. I mean, so a 17-year-old boy supposedly had hanky-panky, pardon my slang, with a 15-year-old 37 years ago. We're going to crucify him, assuming that he's even guilty. I'm saying... Whatever happened to all of us being sinners? What, do we got to have a perfect Supreme Court justice nowadays? I dare say, and let me just get political for one second, if Jesus Christ was running for the, the office, there'd be a party that would try to destroy him. That was good preaching. I like that. I just, let me just put it on my... They, they'd try to destroy him, too. Well, back to the story here. Number 10 and 11, and i got to get to 12 and we're done. I wrote, the 10th reason why I must serve the Lord is because of every member of Harvest Baptist Church. I'm a shepherd. I must continue to serve the Lord. I'm going to be found faithful. Number 11, I wrote down because of every person in Torrington, Connecticut. And uh, let me get to 12. It's almost eight, 7 o'clock right now. My last point, and this is the punchline point. Why am I dead to serve the king? Yea, Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Why am I indebted to, okay, let me just personalize it, bring it right down to where rubber meets the road here. Why am I indebted to try to be here every night uh, this revival meeting? Well, you say, preacher, that's because you're the preacher and you have to be here. <laughs> but, uh, but I want you to personalize it. I know I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I uh, talked to somebody this morning, you're listening to my voice right now. I get it. I mean, by the time you go to work, by the time you drive your commute, by the time you get home, by the time you, you're whipped. 
and you gotta go and do it all the next day. I get it, I understand that, I do. And the older I get, the more I understand that, by the way. And, uh, but I know that as long as I have health and breath in me and ability, there's some people, I took June Battistoni home today uh, after church, and uh, she's got her cane there and had to help her up the steps and bought her, bought her lunch, of course, and had to take her up there first and then go back and get the lunch and bring that up there and so forth. And I'm not patting myself on the back, I'm just simply saying, there's going to come a day when I'm maybe like that, when I need to be helped into church and I can't go myself. It's probably coming, right, if we live long enough. Right now I can still go, so I want to be faithful as I can. But here's the punchline tonight here. Here's my 12th and last point. Why am I serving the Lord? Why, why, am I, why are we going to do the best in our revival meeting this week? It's because I owe it, I wrote down verbatim, I owe it to a friend that gave his life for me one day. And I wrote down for the verse, 1 John four nineteen. We love him because he first loved us. And then I go into the story of Calvary. And I go into, I have the song for my illustration. And I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. Uh, a revival is a is a rebirth, a reigniting. And it used to be, I just quoted that song. How many know that song, I Should Have Been Crucified? Well, see, I think everybody's supposed to know that song. I would sing it for you, but we're, it's now 702, and you, you, I know you want to hear me sing, but I won't. But uh, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered. And there used to be times when that would just bring me to tears. Now I can just quote it off. I could talk about Calvary. I could talk about the cross. We've heard it so many times. Oh, I'm not trying to add negative. I just want to say so many hundreds, no, so many thousands of times we get inoculated. It doesn't even mean anything to us anymore. Oh, oh, I'm preaching. He's going to talk about the Calvary again. Talk about the resurrection. And we get tired of it. I mean, in men's prayer meeting, we talked about Revelation 2, 3, and 4, the church at Ephesus. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. We're having revival meetings. Revival meetings are for God's children. Unsaved people can't be revived. They need to be revived. They need to get a new life in Christ. Only Christians can be revived. I've preached tonight now for 43 minutes, my standard time here. It's now 8.04, 7.04. And uh, I preached to the proverbial choir tonight, and a lot of the, all the choir, as a matter of fact, and, and some of you other folks as well. But let's ask the Lord to, to work in our heart. We'll sing that song we've sang at least uh, 300 times probably, More Love to Thee, O Christ, More Love to Thee. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I've lived long enough and I've studied the Bible long enough to know that revival is not just necessarily emotionalism. In fact, Lord, it's really not emotionalism, but I do believe that emotionalism comes along with it. Lord, uh, when we consider what you've done for us, how can we not say, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel? How can we say, how can we not be a servant of Christ until the day we die? How can we not keep under our body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when we preach to others we should be a castaway? How can we not stay faithful, faithful unto death? Lord, there's people looking at us 
There's reasons why we should keep serving you. There's multiple reasons. Reasons I haven't even named tonight, Lord, that other people can personalize in their own life. Lord, help us to have more love to thee. Help us to stand the fire in longer. Help us to finish our course with joy. Be faithful unto death, we pray. Bless these revival meetings. Bless as we close our service out tonight in our invitation call, we pray. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. As we stand together, let's sing uh, more love to thee, O Christ. I hope we have you know, we use that song. It's page 90, I believe it is.